Listen, several weeks ago, we began the series Snapshots. And if you're joining us, here's what we're saying. That first of all, we're looking at the book of Mark. And the book of Mark just has all these different stories about Jesus interacting with people. They're really snapshots in Jesus' life, snapshots of people encountering Jesus. And one of the things that we're discovering that I love so much about it is this, is that it shows as we work through Mark and look at these different encounters that they're snapshots of people's faith. And what we've discovered so far is that the people who encounter Jesus don't always come out with an A-plus rating, okay? It's like you would encounter Jesus and you think their faith would grow so big and they would grow and develop so much in their Christian life that would be just like amazing. But what we've learned so far is that a number of them, they encounter Jesus and they take a step in Jesus, to Jesus, but their faith is not fully perfected. Now, you think that's good or bad, here's why I like it. It, I like it because it gives you and I hope that our journey in life is nothing more than snapshots of our faith. And there's some snapshots that we look really good in our faith, and there's other snapshots that we don't look as good in our faith. Now, we don't want to not look good in our faith, but here's the story that I really love, that Jesus never gives up on, gives up on us. That he'll just take a snapshot going, oh, we'll do better next time. Hey, that's a pretty good one. But there's always this, this idea that Jesus is always just kind of putting his arms out and just going, keep walking with me and we'll keep growing your faith. That gives me hope in my own walk. And one of the things that I invited you to do throughout this entire series is to write out your snapshot of faith. That we all have those different instances, those moments in our life that God grew our faith in a special way. That we encounter Jesus in a special way. There's always that moment of salvation, but there's other times beyond that that God did something in and through you that you experienced him. And so if you walked in or as you walk in, you see the different things posted out there. These are people that have followed the pastor's instructions, and they've written it out there, okay? Now, I'm not going to shame you right now. You don't have to stand up, stand up if you've not written out your testimony, but they're so good. I love it. This past week, I was walking through the hallway, and a delivery guy had stepped into the church to drop something off, but instead of just dropping and running, guess what he was doing? He was reading the different snapshots of faith along the wall. And I thought, Jesus, you gave South Sub the opportunity to be a testimony to the FedEx guy as he was dropping off the box. And so I just want to read a few of them. They're just so encouraging. Here's, here's one. This is Mary Schultz. I think Mary Schultz is with us online today. So here's Mary's faith snapshot. She said, in March of 2011, during a regular physical checkup, I told the doctor about a genuine, a genuine medical concern I had. She ordered an ultrasound, and the results of that test were the dreaded news of cancer. Needless to say, the news was devastating. I felt my world just come to an end. My hubby held and comforted me as I cried. And when I was too exhausted to cry anymore, a voice entered my numb brain, and it was asking me, why are you giving up? You don't know for sure if you are dying or not. Stop feeling sorry for yourself and start fighting. And then she goes on to say, and so here come the tests and the multitude of doctor visits. It was happening so fast, everything was a blur. The surgery came next in a two-week stay in the hospital. Then came four months of weekly infusions of chemo. That was 12 years ago. I am still in remission and feeling great. And do you know what this experience has taught me? That life is precious. You should enjoy every moment of it, even the challenges. You see, I learned that what's important in your is your faith and your attitude. It would have been so easy to give up, but there's too much to live for. Grandchildren, family events, being with friends at church, beautiful moments in nature, and most important, helping others when I can. I believe that God was the voice that I heard 12 years ago. 
And I feel that he was right there with me the whole time, giving me strength whenever my resolve weakened. And I most strongly believe he is with me now. Isn't that encouraging? A snapshot. I've met Mary, and until I read this, I never knew 12 years ago what she went through to be where she is today. Let me read another one to you, and this is from Greg Cook. He says, I was raised an Air Force Protestant at various air bases my dad was stationed. It wasn't until a dark time in my life that a Christian men's group guided me back to Jesus. Now, with the help of my wife, Paula, and the incredible staff and volunteers at South Sub, my faith and trust in the Lord grows every single day. The example they set as loving, caring Christian men and women is incredible. Again, you, you just pass these people in the hallway. Maybe you've been around them for 15 years, but what was it that catalyst in their life, that snapshot of faith that brought them closer to Jesus? Here's Rosalind Smith's. When I decided to go back to school, it was a life-changing move. The move was over 225 years from, or 225 miles from Denver and my family. I needed a place big enough for me and my three kids. Though I had good job, though I had a good job, it just wasn't fulfilling to me. I had to step out on faith. God provided for my kids and me in ways that only God could do. He covered all the bases. Now that's a good snapshot right there. God covered all the bases. God truly does take care of his own. Now, let me read one more to you. I won't even say who this one is, but it says this. The snapshot of my faith is more about what didn't happen than what did happen. As a young adult, my career took off, and I was making a lot of money. I had it all, cars, a big house, lots of grown-up toys, and more stuff than I knew what to do with. Ironically, with all the pleasures of life at my disposal, I never stepped into the wildlife. The values I learned growing up in church remained a cornerstone in my life. Something, though, was still missing. Though I considered myself religious, I never felt that I had a real relationship with Jesus. And then one day, one day I had an encounter with Jesus. I know it sounds weird, but I don't think I have ever sensed that kind of compassion and love. I guess it was my personal moment of faith, my snapshot. Clearly, I heard Jesus say that he wanted me to help the less fortunate by selling my possessions and sharing the profit to the needy. I couldn't do it. I will never forget the sad, empty feeling I experienced walking away from Jesus that day. Wow, that one kind of gets you, doesn't it? And you're probably thinking, who is it, Keith? Who is it? I'll let you know it's not a current member of here at South Sub, but it is one of our snapshots from the book of Mark. We often refer to him in the book of Mark as the rich, young ruler. And that's who I want us to look at today. As I said, there are snapshots that we look in Scripture and you're going, oh, Jesus, I want to be that way. And there's other snapshots that we look in Scripture that gives us more of a glimpse of what we don't want to be as we respond to Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me, or we'll put it up here on the screen, but it's Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 27. And here's how this story goes. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and he asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
So let me set the stage for you. Undoubtedly, Jesus is walking down the road. We know as we read later in the story that his disciples are with him. So there's Jesus. There's a good 12 and 15 people. You know, probably there's other people there as well because at this point in his ministry, Jesus was, was gathering a following wherever he went, whether he wanted them to follow or not. There was people that would gather around him. But we at least know there were 12 to 15 people walking with Jesus. And the Bible says this man came running up to him and he knelt down to him. Now, sometimes as we read scripture, we have to try to just pull back the, 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 the covers there and try to understand a little bit more what's happening. Here's what I think is happening. This man was truly seeking after Jesus. You know, there's times in Jesus' life that some of the religious leaders would come up to him more trying to trick him or manipulate him into answering the wrong way. But I don't think this is one of those, those times. I think this was a man that was a sense of being desperate. Desperate knowing there was something missing in his life, something that he needed, hearing the stories about Jesus, hearing the miracles, and he runs up to him. And the fact that he runs up to him and kneels down. I mean, think about your life. When's the last time you wanted somebody's attention and you knelt down trying to get their attention? I mean, our kids yank at us left and right trying to get our attention. We'll tap somebody on the shoulder. But if somebody walked up to you and literally nailed down and looked up to you, here's what that portrays, that you have something they need. They put themselves at a lower level of you simply to symbolically say, I am looking to you for my answers. And also that same moment, he referred to Jesus as the good teacher. Now, that's an interesting, interesting way to refer to him. And not only does it seem interesting as we read it, good teacher, Jesus thought it was an interesting way to refer to him. Because look what the next verse says. Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is truly good. Now for us to understand this moment in this life of this man and Jesus in our context, we have to go back to the context of Jesus back then. Back in those days, 2,000 years ago, within the Jewish culture, the word good was only applied when you want to refer to something godly. So back in those days, 2,000 years ago, when this event was taking place, you wouldn't push back from the dinner table going, ooh, that was really good. Because if you said that way, you're going, that was God food. We just ate like manna from, from heaven. And so you wouldn't use the word, word good. You wouldn't look at somebody and say, you're a good friend. Again, because good in that context was more of a vertical relationship with God association, not a horizontal relationship with people around you. And so when this man looked at Jesus and said, good teacher, there was a tension that he was facing in his own life. And in one sense, he called Jesus teacher, which meant that's just an earthly giver of information, giver of knowledge, giver of wisdom. But he tacked on good and is his way of saying, but you're a teacher like something I've never seen before. You're a teacher not just of earthly wisdom. There's some heavenly stuff going on here. And I think that's the reason he ran up to Jesus. He knelt down and said, good teacher, I need something. I have a question for you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because the question he was asking at that moment was not a question that the normal person could answer. He was looking for the real answer. He was looking for the answer, not just to check off the box of something, but, but Jesus, there's this thing inside of me that's missing, and if you don't give it to me, I'm not sure I can get it because you're as close to God as I can get to ask this question. And so I find it interesting when he responded or looked or, or, or he called out to Jesus, good teacher. Jesus didn't necessarily correct him. 
He didn't take a step back going, hang on, dude. Like, good teacher? Call me good son of God. Let me kind of set your theology up here. Call me good Messiah to come. Let me kind of arrange things how you need to think. It wasn't like Jesus had this moment going, if I don't fix him right now, he won't make it. You know what Jesus let him do? He let him kind of squirm in his trying to figure things out. Not squirm because he was trying to make him sweat it out. But he knew if he didn't wrestle with the issue at hand, he would never come up with the real answer. Do you know what I love about that right there? That's how Jesus does you and I. I'm sure there's so many times in my life that I've approached Jesus with a prayer request. I've approached Jesus with a question. I'm trying to figure out something spiritual in my life. And my, my pathway to figure it out, God could have stood up in heaven going, you're not even close to understanding who I am. You need to back up through two or three grades and try this again. But rather than trying to force himself on the man or God forcing himself on us, he allows us, and I'm not sure it's a spiritual term that we use in church, but squirm. You know what the word squirm is? You're just wiggling till you find the right spot. I think spiritually that's what God allows us to do sometimes, to let us, let us spiritually wrestle with the issues we're facing because he's not, acts at, he's not after just a split second to fix us in our behavior. He wants more of a heart change because he knows that's the lasting response. And so Jesus looked at him and said, why do you call me the good man? But then Jesus went on to answer his question in verse 19. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. This rich young ruler, this young man, he is well-versed in Scripture. He's well-versed in the Old Testament laws. And so what Jesus is spouting off to him is nothing new at this point. Because his whole life he had been trying to be good. We're going to find out that in a second. But Jesus is giving him a perspective from a different angle. And then he throws in there, you must not steal, you must not testify, testify falsely. And then he says this, you must not cheat anyone. If you want to flip over, don't worry about doing it now, but flip over to the Ten Commandments, that one's not in there. Jesus kind of throws a curveball to him going, hey, I'm listing all the Ten Commandments. The guy's going, yep, check, 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 done that one, that one. And all of a sudden, Jesus throws another one in there. And you know why Jesus throws something in there that's not the Ten Commandments? Because he's trying to say, it's not about a list of ten it's about perfection. You want to inherit the kingdom of God? <laughs> Your life has to check every right box of living that there is. And Jesus was really taking the list of 10 and expanding to infinity. Let's think of every single law, every single rule, every single right thing that you're supposed to do. And if you want to get to heaven, you have to check every single one of those off. And then the teacher, the, after he said all these things, teacher, the man replied, I've all, I've, I have obeyed all of these commandments since I was a child. Now, we may look at him going, oh, no. <laughs> no, you haven't. Okay, let me just go talk to your mama. You haven't obeyed all these commandments, okay? You haven't done everything perfect. But here's what we sense from this man. He's exhausted. He went, hold on, let me look at that again. Where do you show that I'm reading it? I don't, I don't see that he's exhausted. Here's how I know he's exhausted. If he has spent his whole life trying to be good enough to get measure up for eternal life, he must be exhausted. You with me? You ever went through that? Like, I'm going to be good, God. I'll be really good. Give me till about 9 o'clock in the morning, and I've already messed that one up. Being good is exhausting to us. 
And I'm trying to be good because I want to impress my wife. I'm trying to be good because I want to do good in this situation or this environment. I'm trying to do good because I know that's what God wants me to. But if you're trying to be good as your ticket to heaven and you're focused on that all the time, it must be exhausting. And the problem with it being exhausting, it's an exhaustive work that will never reach where you want it to get you. Because we can never be good enough to merit eternal life. And so after he said that, Looking at the man in verse 21, the Bible says this, that Jesus felt genuine love for him. I wish sometimes as I read scripture, I could be transported back to that moment. Because you've got this situation. Here's Jesus. Here's the man. He's on his knees. He's asking this question. He's truly wanting to know the answer. Good teacher, I know you must be like God because there's just more about you than anybody else. And I need to know the answer because I'm exhausted from trying to be good enough. And I'm, yes, okay, that's your answer, Jesus. I've done all those. And the Bible says that Jesus looked at the man with genuine love. Do you know why I want to be transported back to this moment in Scripture? Because I wish I could be that moment and feel that type of love from Jesus. I don't think it was this type of love that just said, oh, yeah, I love you. Okay? In fact, if you go back to the Greek language, the original language, it's not this love that maybe here we're in prom season, right? And you see all these pictures on social media that the boyfriends and girlfriends, the seniors are together and they're hugging each other. And there's a love going on because they're boyfriend and girlfriend, they're dating. It's not that high school sweetheart kind of love that this particular word talks about. The love that this word describes right here, that when it says Jesus looked upon him with love, is the type of love that when a little baby starts crying at 3 o'clock in the morning because she has a fever, that the mama gets up and robs her of her own sleep and her own, her own sleep and her own comfort, and she rocks that baby just trying to comfort her baby. That's a love. It's also the kind of love that when Denise and I had our kids and I'd hear one of them crying, and in great love I'd roll over and act like I just hit Denise in my sleep so she could get up and take care of that baby. It's that kind of love I'm talking about. <laughs> It's, it's the kind of love that when your grandkids or your great-grandkids come see you and they run and just sit in your lap and don't want anything but to sit in your lap. It's the kind of love that when a parent of a grown child is praying for their child to make the right decisions in life, that as they're just personally and silently just praying in their own rooms, tears are coming down their, their cheeks. You know that kind of love? It's a lot different than the high school prom love and that deep love. And the Bible lets us know that Jesus looked at that man with that kind of love. Because I've got to believe that love was coming from a point going, he can't earn what he's trying to get. He's not good enough to merit the eternal life that he's longing for. But Jesus' heart says, but I want him to get it. I don't want to shake my finger at him going wrong, wrong, wrong. I want him to get what he's wanting. And I want him to get what I've got for him that he doesn't even understand yet. Look at the man. Jesus felt genuine love for him. And there's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. See, the man came up to me and knelt down. But reality, he knelt down with his arms full. 
because he held on to his house and he held on to his car and all these possessions and all these things that he valued so much in this world. He's holding on, holding on to him going, Jesus, how do I get to eternal life? And Jesus said this, you got to let go. The things that you value more than me, you have to let go. Because as Jesus looked at him with great love, here's what Jesus was wanting. He's wanting to embrace the man. You ever try to embrace somebody when their arms are full of stuff? It's the coldest, most awkward embrace that you can ever imagine. Because you're wanting to embrace them and put yourself with them, but they got things in them and holding on to that they can't get to you because these things are between you and them. And what Jesus is really saying is there's nothing wrong with cars, there's nothing wrong with houses, there's nothing wrong with possessions, but when those things become more important than my relationship, I can't have the relationship with you that you really want. And what he's going to try to show him, and without the relationship, there is no eternal life. Mark 10, 22, maybe the saddest verse in all the Bible. And at this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Earlier, when I was reading the snapshots, and I was reading the story, the, the made-up story of the rich young ruler, and I got to the very end, did your stomach just kind of sink? You're like, okay, I'm ready for the story because you're reading about somebody's testimony, and I want to hear how this rich person with all these possessions met Jesus. And I just said, and he said, I walked away. It's like a stomach punch. That had to be what was going on right there. And remember, it's not just Jesus and the man. They're having this conversation, but they have the onlookers. They have the disciples and maybe other people watching them, and they're all listening, and they're all like that movie. You're waiting for the hero to rescue somebody, and all of a sudden, you ever been to one of those movies where you're waiting for the hero to rescue somebody, and it ends really bad? Like the hero never rescues, or maybe the hero dies, and you walk out of the movie just angry going, I want my money back. That movie didn't leave me feeling good. That movie left me feeling worse than before I ever came here. Like movies aren't supposed to end negative. They're supposed to end on an up note. And this conversation between the man and Jesus and all the people are watching, they're going, okay, bring in the hero, bring in the hero. Really? That's how it ended? Because the Bible says, and the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. It's like figuratively, he picked up from his knees with all of his stuff in his hand, and he looked at Jesus, who had the great compassion and love going out to him. And he walked away. Whew. And you think you pay 10 bucks to go to a bad, bad movie. Can you imagine being there? And so Jesus is left now to deal with the audience. Okay, it's one thing to deal with this man, and Jesus had to be sad too. Jesus had to be heartbroken because he wanted a relationship. He wanted eternal life with this man forever. And he walked away, and all of a sudden Jesus is going, I'm in a theater, and this movie's not turning out too good. And so the Bible says this, that Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? So Jesus just makes a statement. Hey, all you people watching, <laughs> you just saw one of the most hardest things in the world to ever observe for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What you're seeing that just, just unfolded right here, it doesn't surprise me because it's a reality. Now, can we stop there for a second and, and define this rich? Because there's a moment that this story needs to become our story. Rich doesn't mean you have the biggest house on the block. 
Rich doesn't mean that you have four or five cars in your garage and your driveways. Rich doesn't mean that you have more money in your bank account that you can ever spend. Rich is to find that you have more in your life than you can use to get you through tomorrow. Can I just confess this to all of us? We're all rich. Okay, may not have all the money in the bank we want, may not have the nice car that you want to drive. There may be some things you want more of, but we have more things and stuff than most of the world, the entire world. And so reality, we are rich. And so now Jesus is making a statement, not just about this man. He's making a statement to the disciples, all the onlookers, and now he's making a statement to us. Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Like, would you do me a favor? Just hold up an imaginary needle in your hand, like a sewing needle. Okay? Now, see if you can hold a camel in this hand. Are you see where I'm going with this one? Now, it's interesting. Did some research this past week, and there's, there's two words in the Greek language, camel and rope. And they're, they're one, one letter difference. So some theologians go, no, Jesus didn't really say camel. He said rope. And so there's this theological discussion. Is it a rope or is it a camel? I'm going, who cares? I can't get either one of them through the eye of a needle, right? It really doesn't matter. And Jesus is just saying, when you have a lot of stuff that you rely on, when you have a lot of stuff in your life that you love, it is harder for that person because that person's rich to get through the eye of a needle than a camel going through the eye, or to get to heaven, than the camel going through the eye of the needle. So at this point, look what it says about the disciples. This amazed them. This is the moment they're like, okay, this was like drop the mic type of moment. This is when the disciples going, and you know why it amazed them? Because now they're no longer thinking about the man. Guess who they're thinking about? Themselves. They're going, whoa, if it's that hard to get into heaven... Can I get into heaven? Really? If he can't, and that's the rules set up, and Jesus says it's hard, how hard is it going to be for me to get to heaven? And then he goes on to say this, but Jesus said again, Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were still astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? You see where it's going to them now? We're not asking for him. We're asking for us. And then Jesus looked at them intently, and he said, humanly speaking, it is impossible. Whoa. Let's transport ourselves to that conversation with Jesus. How do you get to heaven? And Jesus looked at them, and he looks at us and says, Humanly speaking, it is impossible to get to heaven. And then he says, but with God, everything is possible with God. We can breathe. But it still leaves me with a little bit of tension as I think through the story. Okay, like most people, I try really hard to be good. And, and I know that in my goodness, I can't measure perfection, but I try really hard to be good to make God happy. But what he's saying here is we can never be good enough to make God happy. But he said, but with God, it is possible. 
I want to wrap up our time here. There's an illustration I came across that I'm going, I, this tension with God is it possible. Can you explain with God it is possible? What is possible? What does God give me? And I want to show you an illustration that I think will really help with this. And here's what, the, here's what we know. We have right here who God wants us to be. And I'm just going to call this God's design. Okay, and if you can't see this up here, it's on the screens over there. But God has a design for every one of us. Do you realize this? God wants to bless us more than we can be blessed. God has a plan for our life when it comes to relationships, when it comes to finances, when it comes to our vocation, when it comes to our family. God has a design for our life that is better than what we could design for ourselves. But here's the problem. We as individuals are so selfish and so self-centered that oftentimes, most times, really I could say all the time, that we wrestle this design from God going, no, God, my design is better than your design. My way is better than your way. And when we begin to wrestle our design from God, we end up in a place called brokenness. And actually, as we wrestle from God, that wrestling is called sin. See, God has his way, but we have our way. And when we wrestle from him, that pathway of wrestling is called sin. And it leads us to brokenness. And we all know what brokenness feels like, right? Sometimes there's shame with brokenness. Sometimes there's guilt with brokenness. There is, there is just rejection with brokenness. There is regretting with brokenness. We've all felt brokenness before, right? And feeling broken is the worst feeling being broken is the worst place that we can ever imagine being. And so here's what we try to do. Well, God, you had your design for me that was better than my way, but I really like my way better. So we sin, we step away from God, and we end up in this thing called brokenness. And so what we try to do next is we try to fix our brokenness. We try to fix our brokenness by going and trying to find the right relationship to make me feel unbroken. We try to fix our brokenness by going and making more money so I'll be happier. All these things that we've stepped away, and this is where the man was in our story, that he was trying to fix his brokenness. But reality is we can't fix our brokenness. So here's what we do next. If we can't fix our brokenness, we try to numb our brokenness. You ever try to numb your brokenness? There are so many agents of numbing out there right now. You can try to numb your brokenness, your rejection, your shame, your regretting through binge-watching on Netflix. Many times we try to, try to hide our brokenness by overeating, overindulgence. We try to numb our brokenness. Many times we'll turn to alcoholism or even drugs in that one. There's all kinds of ways that people of the world try to numb their brokenness. But reality, we can't fix our brokenness, and we can't numb our brokenness. There's only one way that we can take care of our brokenness, and that's called the gospel. If you translate the gospel, it really means this, the good news. When Jesus said it's impossible, but with God all things are possible, that's exactly what God knew. God knew that he had a design for us, but we step away from our, bro our design that he has for us. We sin, we step into brokenness, and now we're trying to fix our brokenness. And he's going, guys, you're not going to even fix it that way. You can't be good enough. You can't be smart enough. You can't obey all the commandments. Nothing will fix your brokenness. So here's what the gospel says. John three sixteen. If our kids are here, they would share it with us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, 
that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have eternal life. It's really the story of the cross. But more than the cross, it's the story of the death of Jesus. But even more than the death, it's the story of the resurrection. And so what God says is this. In this impossibility, how do you get this eternal life? You put it right here. Repent and believe. This is the point that Jesus is at with the man. He's going, I don't need you to go be good enough. I just want you to let go of what you think is trying to save you and reach out to me and trust me. You see, repent means this. Whatever way I'm going, I stop and I turn around and I go the opposite way. That's what repentance is. And the man was going down a path, and we would judge the man going, it was a good path. He wasn't partying. He wasn't wild. He wasn't womanizing. He was trying to do all the good things. But even all the good things won't save us. That's impossible. But it is possible through God who gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And Scripture says this, if we confess our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and the Lord, he will heal our hearts and he'll live with us. So repent and believe simply means let go of whatever you're hanging on to and trust. And for me, I like that visual. I let go and I trust. That was the man on his knees. God, Jesus wanted him to let go and trust. And the Bible says this, when we do that, looks where it takes us back to. It takes us back to God's design. We'll never be perfect. But that begins the process, that begins many more snapshots of our faith growing more and more and more that we're trying to be who God wants us to be, and God wants us to be living in his design. Does that make sense? And I love this picture because the whole story of the rich young ruler, it kind of blows my mind like it blows the disciples' minds. I'm going, Jesus, you just put some expectations up there. I don't know how I'm going to get there. I don't know how others will get there. You just made this thing impossible. And he said, oh, yeah, it's impossible. About as impossible or about as possible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. But with God, all things are possible. I step away from his design in my sin. I become broken. But in my brokenness of trying to fix and numb things, the gospel, Jesus steps in going, I will do it all for you. All that you have to do is trust me. Now, this illustration here, here's what I love about it. No matter where I talk about it, in a room right here at church, I'm going to ask you to do something. Where are you on the diagram? There are many of you that are here that you've trusted Jesus, that you've let go of things. It's not picture-perfect faith, but you're going, Jesus, I'm trying to take new snapshots, and I'm pursuing you in your design. But there may be some here, even in church, because church doesn't make it, church doesn't get us here, right? Church is just a place that we can understand where we are. There may be some that are in the brokenness. And going, Keith, when you describe trying to numb things so I don't feel in my regret and my brokenness, that's me. I'm trying. I'm trying to fix it. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to do this. You're going, Keith, I, I, I'm, I'm the rich young man in the story. I, I don't. I don't, I'm not getting it. I want it, but I'm not getting it. If you find yourself at this place, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to quit trying to be good. I'm going to quit trying to fix it. I'm going to quit trying to numb it. And Jesus, I let go of my ways, and I take you your ways. I trust you. 
confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved, which will take you to here, back up to here. And so I want to close the service, not close the service, I want to close my sermon, just asking you to close your eyes for just a second. And I want you right now, just you and God, kind of like the man falling on his knees to Jesus. This is you and Jesus moment. This, this moment is so private and personal. There's no snapshots being taken here. This is just a you and Jesus moment. Where do you find yourself in the three circles? God's design? Are you more in the brokenness? Or have you moved to the gospel and let Jesus forgive you and you've committed yourself to him? If you are, find yourself in the gospel and you're moving and pursuing back up to God's design, would you simply right there where you are with your eyes closed, just say, Jesus, thank you. Sometimes we can be good in following Jesus so long we forget about his real grace way back then. And would you say, Jesus, thank you that in my brokenness you rescued me. In my brokenness you saved me. Thank you, Jesus. Or maybe you find yourself going, Keith, I'm in the brokenness. Right there where you are, you could just simply say, Jesus, I let it all go. I let it, I just drop it. And I trust you. I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus, you are Lord. And the Bible says if you say that right where you are, it moves you from the impossibility of eternal life to the possibility of that relationship with God. No more work on your part. And the Bible says, and you will be saved. And you could pray that prayer right now where you are. And so Jesus, thank you. Thank you for snapshots of faith in your scripture. Thank you for snapshots of faith in our lives today. Thank you. Um, thank you for those of us who know you. We don't know you because we deserve it. We know you because you're full of mercy. And thank you for our salvation. And I pray for those that are in that brokenness that today would be the day that they would move from there to knowing you. From the impossible to the possibility of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thank you today that you offered your salvation, your grace, your relationship to people. And we are blessed that, God, you are here with us. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Listen, we're going to take of the Lord's table, but let me just say before we do that, if you're here today and you're one of those that were in the brokenness and you're like, Keith, for the first time, I get it. And I asked Jesus in my heart, I said yes to Jesus today. On your sheet of paper there, if you'll write on the connection card there, the prayer card, let me know because I would love to personally contact you and just celebrate with you.